You are now tuned into Virtually Impossible Presents Lazy Learning Land Podcast, where we teach teachers how to be lazier, yet more effective to increase student performance, but decrease teacher burnout and stress. I'm Dot, your hostess that always gives you the mostest while doing the least, also known as the queen of working and not working. With over 15 years of teaching experience in the hood schools, and still, I thrive. Today's episode is sponsored by the Virtually Impossible's A Teacher's Guide blog, which can be found on virtuallyimpossible.net, no apostrophe. This is where educators can enter the lazical world of lazy learning land. There, you can find the five teacher laws on how to be a lazier, yet more effective teacher, classroom management tips, and also post on other general teaching topics. While you are there, you can find some amazing lazy learning land math tools for the secondary level that will allow your students to be 100% engaged while you sit back, relax, and facilitate. Now for today's episode. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Virtually Impossible Presents Lazy Learning Land podcast. We have an awesome show lined up for you today. Today, I am going to be my transparent self. I am going to let you guys in on my little black splotch of my teaching career which was my first 90 days of teaching. Today, we're going to talk about how I was almost fired in my first 90 days and what I did to make a comeback. So yes, the title of this is Teacher Fired in the First 90 Days. Teacher Fired? Okay, well, I wasn't exactly fired. However, Being in the principal's office after the first weeks of school is a close enough call for me. That really put me on notice because they said, "Um, things don't seem to be working out and our time together may be shorter than what we had hoped. In my mind, I'm like, shorter than what we had hoped? What's that supposed to mean? Like, seriously, did we really just have that conversation? I have literally just spent the last four years of my life, not to mention thousands of dollars preparing for this job. And now I'm about to be without one. Like, how in the world is this happening to me? This must be some sort of April Fool's joke in September kind of thing. Not to mention, I voluntarily came to teach at the hood school. All right, inner city school, if you're trying to be politically correct, but this is my rant, so my rules. I mean, it, is even, it isn't even like folks are lining up at the door to be here in the first place. So why are we even having this conversation? <laughs> well, y'all, in reality, it was not a joke. Also, in reality, I couldn't figure out how in the heck did I even end up in this position in the first place. I graduated college with a 3.9 GPA. I actually have a bachelor's in education. I'm prepared for this. Right? Truthfully, the answer is no, I wasn't. I mean, yeah, sure. 
I was solid on writing lesson plans and creating purposeful assignments that, you know, hit all the spots of the content, using some sorts of pedagogy. But astonishingly, like college really had not prepared me for the real deal. 150 plus personalities I was going to encounter on a daily basis. College did not prepare me on how to be the captain of my own classroom ship. In essence, college failed me. So let's fast forward 14 plus years later. And, you know, I am still going strong, still working in the hood, and I'm still in the classroom. What I like to affectionately call the trenches. I call the classroom the trenches. I mean, sometimes it's like you are at war, but that's a whole nother episode. How did I do that? Like, how did I turn it around from literally being told if I don't get it together, I'm going to be without a job in a couple of weeks to now having 14, 15 plus years of experience in the classroom? Well, I am here to give you my top five tips to help any first year teachers, new teachers, heck, even some veteran teachers survive, but definitely to help first year teachers survive their first 90 days. All right, let's get into it. How I made my classroom comeback. So the first thing, number one, mentors matter. Mentors matter. You see, one of the first things that was really instrumental in leading me to almost being a teacher fired is the mentor that was assigned to me, or should I say, a lack thereof. During pre-planning, I was introduced to my mentor. Man, this chick was on the countdown to retirement, had nothing good to say about anything or anybody. Whenever I asked for help, She was extremely long-winded and spent what felt like forever talking about a bunch of nothing. And needless to say, I walked away from her still not having an answer to my question or having gained any actual insight. And this lack of true mentorship really had me secretly drowning. Literally, I was on my own. I was just winging it and I was like trying to make the best out of the situation. But part of why I almost got fired was having a lack of guidance and support. You see, administration was thinking, oh, we've given her a mentor. She should be good. But they weren't paying attention to the fact that my mentor wasn't worth nothing. So I'll start this off and say word to the wise be mentored by a teacher or multiple teachers that you actually aspire to be like. Even if they were not appointed by the school, you can still get assistance and be mentored from other teachers. It does kind of suck that there is a person that's assigned to be your mentor and they get a little bit of extra in their check for doing it. And then they may not be actually doing their job and helping you. But sometimes you're just going to have to take matters into your own hands. Or if you get a chance to pick your mentor, then really pick someone that you aspire to be like. 
Do not be afraid to observe other teachers. Do not be afraid to ask them for help. Because honestly, most teachers like passing on our good information. Teachers that's been doing it for a while, we like to think that we are masters of our craft. So we love it when somebody wants some insight from us. It kind of just makes us feel kind of, you know, warm and fuzzy all on the inside. That someone actually sees and appreciates what we do and what we bring to the table. That is exactly what saved me. A teacher on my hallway heard the news about me getting ready to get the axe and Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> are, are you really surprised that the teacher down the hall found out? We all know that bad news travels fast. But anyways, them knowing that I was not receiving the proper support, they made a decision to take me under their wing. And this teacher did not receive any compensation for it, no additional nothing. They just really did it out of the kindness of their heart. And I will be forever you know, just grateful for that extension of, I don't know, love, sacrifice, all of that. And the next four tips that I'm going to share with you are a true testament to that time and energy that that secondary mentor, that voluntary mentor poured into me. Okay, so tip number two. Rules and procedures over everything, everything, everything. See, fresh out of undergrad, I was young. I was naive. Y'all, I like really wanted to be that teacher that all the students liked. I wanted to be the cool teacher. I was young in my early 20s, still super fine. Like, come on. I just wanted to be like Brandy. I wanted to be down. But at the same time, A part of me wanted to be respected by my students. The biggest mistake I made in this department was putting the cool before the respect, which ultimately led me down the path of almost being a teacher fired. When I was setting up for the school year and I was starting off, I only had five rules and I didn't even think to think about creating procedures for how to properly do stuff in my classroom. I was just like, okay, I got my five rules. This covers enough. Like we're going to be straight. No, no. (laughs) I saw very quickly and I can't even tell y'all that I learned very quickly. I just saw very quickly. The fact that students will fill in the blanks with whatever they want. Meaning, if you don't already have a rule or a procedure in place, they will make one up for you. Y'all, let me tell you, ain't nobody more creative than a middle school student that don't really got too many guidelines. Okay? And I can tell you that the things that they came with to fill in the gaps were far from what I actually desired to take place in my classroom. And once them kids started creating their own rules, their own procedures for things that I failed to create them for, let me tell you, it takes hell and high water to get them to change to something else. You hear me? Which is why it was so difficult for me to regain control of my room, despite how hard I tried Once I realized like, oh, shoot, 
they're kind of doing their own thing. I know y'all say that sometimes as a culture, as a people, the African-American community does not come together. But at that school and at that time, that majority, that predominantly African-American classroom makeup of students. Oh, they, they banded together. All right. <laughs> they definitely banded together. And even when I tried to put something in place, they rejected it. And baby, hey, it is strength in numbers. They rejected it not because they smelled fear. I wasn't scared of them, but they rejected it because I allowed them to take the reins because I was underprepared. And there was just no chance that they were going to let me just take it back easily. Another error that I made was just placing too big of an emphasis on getting through my lessons, despite the chaos that was going on during my lessons. So if I was already dropping the ball on classroom management, I'm still trying to teach in an environment where it's kind of like a circus, a jungle and newsflash learning is unable to truly take place if the environment does not allow for it. However, after that meeting in the principal's office, I I pivoted and I really made a conscious decision that my rules and procedures were non-negotiable. The culture of my class completely began to shift. Like when I tell you, I didn't care about nothing else other than my rules and procedures being followed. And I really and truly gave two craps less about that math lesson that was supposed to be taught, that was scheduled to be taught that day. If they could not follow my simple rules and procedures, if they couldn't get in line, I didn't teach them. But let me tell you, the quiz was still going to be on the day the quiz was supposed to be. The test is still going to be on the day the test is supposed to be. And I'm still going to put them F's and zeros in the grade book if I don't get through my lesson because you guys are now in a power struggle with me instead of falling into a place of respect, compliance, understanding, you know, having that environment where we just work together to make it all happen. So like I said, when my focus changed and shifted that if I don't teach my students nothing else, I will teach them manners and self-control. When I locked in on that and they saw I locked in on that and they tried me and tried me and tried me and I didn't budge from being locked in on that, then learning started taking place. Tip number three, make learning fun. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Within my first 90 days, y'all, I put so much more emphasis on having my students take good notes and then practice with the worksheets. I mean, (laughs) I'd laugh at myself now, but truly how silly of me to think that eighth graders were going to follow the old school method of sit and get. And I'll let y'all know this was back in like what, 2009? These kids ain't interested in worksheets and sit and get. Sure, my students were already acting up because I did not have class strong classroom management initially. But the flip side of that coin is also the misbehavior was happening because they just don't like math. They didn't like the subject. 
And this was a very lethal combination and a catalyst for me almost being a teacher fired. You see, these kids were trying to do anything and everything to distract me from being able to get through my lessons. Like they did this strategically in hopes that I would spend multiple days trying to finish this one particular lesson, ultimately keeping them from having to do any real work. And I'm not going to lie to you for a while. It was it worked like those kids actually kind of outsmarted me. Hindsight is extremely 2020. And the fact that I put a greater emphasis on teaching good content than I did on paying attention to the delivery. See, I should have been, yes, good content, but how can I give these kids the content in a meaningful and engaging way? That's where I messed up. I went back to what I knew what happened to me growing up, which, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, the old trusty dusty of sit and get. And these kids were not about that life at all. So something uh, I had to develop a mindset about is if you are bored teaching it, then your students are also bored learning it. Once I worked with other teachers and stole some of their more engaging activities, it really helped me to take the risk out of math for my students, which then made them want to participate, made them want to engage, made them want to try. And also by incorporating more use of technology, it helped to keep them engaged, which helped me to start to regain more control of my class. You should definitely go back and check out my lazy law number two for some awesome tips on how to effectively use technology in your classroom. Lazy law number two, use a screen so you don't have to scream, honey. For more tips on engaging your students in meaningful, engaging lessons and activities. I ain't going to lie to you, y'all. Revamping the way that I delivered the content to my students and revamping how they practiced was it, it was instrumental in helping me to complete a to make a complete 180 in my classroom, which ultimately, again, helped to lower my chances of being a teacher fired. But I definitely had to reform my methods and I had to reform my attitude and my position on my rules and procedures. Those two kind of went hand in hand. Now, tip number four, check this one out. Hey, everything is a grade, but you best not, you better not grade everything. I'll say that one more time. Everything is a grade, but you better not grade everything. Whoo, child. That grading, even if you can call it grading, the, the my methods for giving these kids grades was another error I made during my first 90 days. You know, I was, again, I was trying to be that cool teacher, limited rules, limited assessments, limited assignments, whatever. I was trying to be down. And 
I only started off, you know, looking at their notebooks as a grade, grading quizzes and grading tests. I was trying to just allow everything else in, in between to be practiced and, you know, in hopes, oh, my students know it's important because it's, they need this for the quiz. They need it for the test, you know, mm-mm. Mm-mm. what was I thinking? See, once the students realized that their daily work was not worth anything, they just stopped doing it. When they stopped doing their daily work, they still had 45 to 50 minutes in my classroom each day. So if they weren't doing any of the assignments that I was giving, guess what? They filled that time with their infamous off-task and distracting shenanigans. The gossip of these shenanigans taking place in my classroom repeatedly day to day, you know that spread like rapid wildfire and played a role in me almost being a teacher fired. Something really and truly had to give and that something was allowing them to think certain assignments don't count. My self-appointed second mentor showed me how to trick my students into thinking that everything counts. So for more details on everything's a grade, but you better not grade everything, go ahead and tune into that episode or find that post on my blog site, virtuallyimpossible.net. But while at the same time, only grading a few assignments a week. See, I had to, they helped my mentor, my second mentor helped me to Learn how to trick these students into thinking that everything was worth a grade. But in reality, I was only grading two, maybe three assignments a week, if that. Like I said, check out the blog post on my website, virtuallyimpossible.net, because I'm telling you, it is so worth it to find out how to just psychologically make your students think that everything is worth something because you would like to think that, oh, if you tell them it's important for the test, it's important for the quiz, it's important for your next math class you're going to take next year. We can find a thousand and one ways to make it important. And to them, it's only important if it's worth a grade. Now, I'm not going to leave y'all completely hanging. I'm going to give you, you know, I'll give you a little bit of a foundation on a new way to grade, which I developed in order to save my hide. But you can now call me the master of disguise. See, it took me about two to three weeks of collecting every assignment that they completed on loose leaf paper and putting a grade directly in their notebook for assignments that they did inside of their notebooks. Majority of my grades were actually based on, number one, did they follow instructions? Two, did they try? Three, how on task and on topic were they that day? I only counted right and wrong answers for them on quizzes and tests, which made grading much a much more easier task for me. And the thing is, because they always saw me collecting it, because they always saw me put some type of grade on it, to them, it counted. Even if they didn't see every single assignment in the grade book, To them, turning it into that basket, to them, seeing a grade in their notebook on that paper, on that page, that meant 
it was a grade. It was worth something. The other part to that is I make sure that I put in at least three grades per week. Most importantly, I put them in before the next school week started. So it was like they, you know, look at their grades sometime over the weekend or on a Friday or something. And they would see, oh, shoot, man, she put that zero in for that assignment I didn't do this week. Dang, like immediate like that, that made a difference. The immediate turn it in, the immediate grade in the notebook, the immediate you know, within that week, I see my grade in the grade book. That means my, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my auntie, whoever takes care of me, they get to see that too. Dang, I'm going to be in trouble. And that helps save my hide. All right. So my last tip is to keep it simple. You hear me? I can truly say that I not only see and learn from my errors back in the day, But the mistake I made in the realm of keeping it simple was trying to do too much at once while being a new teacher. See, not only was I a first year teacher, but I was also still in grad school trying to get my master's degree. I was extremely naive on how my first year of teaching was going to go. I mean, to me, it was all pot of golds and rainbows in my head, how it was going to play out. And I was just totally unaware of all of that extra gunk that teachers do that lurked in the shadows of this profession. To say I was overzealous would be a complete understatement. I ended up with way too much on my plate just for my personal life. I was in grad school. I was still overly, superly active in sorority life. I was volunteering at my church. I was coaching with a local high school track and field team. You know, we had practice after school five days a week. I mean, I just, I did not have much time to devote towards mastering the craft of teaching. And as I mentioned above, my lessons were like, as I mentioned earlier, my lessons were initially sit and get. I I mean, I really, y'all, like I bit off more than I could chew in my personal life. On top of that, I did not have the best mentor. On top of that, I was also aimlessly wandering through these different strategies, trying to find my place in this world, trying to find my teachers in, like trying to find out, find my teacher identity, really. And I was just trying a ton of different things and really mastering absolutely none of them. So I would definitely tell you that keeping your personal life simple is essential to prevent yourself from being a teacher fired. Keeping teaching methods simple is also helpful. Like don't go out there and try 15, 20 new strategies in one month. Like not happening, not gonna be a good end result. Pick like two or three strategies to focus on out the gate, whether it's strategies, activities, or educational tools, technology, whatever. Use those repeatedly with fidelity and by mastering them, then you give yourself the capacity to add on a couple more coming up down the line. You see, becoming a great teacher is not something that just happens overnight. You got to give yourself some grace. I mean, veteran teachers, who, excuse me, y'all, I was dang near about to choke. I'm okay though. Um, Veteran teachers spend years creating and perfecting their system. If you are lucky, 
you will have the pleasure to receive mentorship by one of those rock star teachers, which they can help save you a lot of the the wasted time that they had trying to figure out who they are. And again, that brings everything back full circle to tip number one, that mentors matter. All right, I want to sum this up because I've had y'all for a little while, but finding out that you like finding out that you are on the cusp of being a teacher fired is absolutely devastating. And if I can help save somebody from being in that boat, that's exactly what I want to do. I honestly did not know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know what I was I didn't know what I was going to do with my life if I wasn't teaching. I didn't have a plan B. I didn't have a minor in something else. So Mentors really matter because a mentor that fails to support you and fails to pour into you is just simply meaningless. And you might as well just be wandering through the woods with a blindfold on. Rules and procedures, y'all, they got to trump everything. And I don't care what nobody else says about this. Rules and procedures have to trump everything when you are a new teacher. You have to establish yourself. You have to assert yourself. You see, I survived the dark side. And yes, having a rapport with your students is extremely important. They should be able to feel safe in your classroom. They should be able to feel connected to you. They should be able to feel supported by you. But rules and procedures, they weave into this concept very intricately. So there's a delicate balance to being able to be assertive and also still have a good rapport with your students. Don't forget to make learning fun and engaging because it helps to take the risk out of failure for your students, take that anxiety away from them. Then they are, when they are more focused on the fun parts, the work is just simply a means to an end to be able to have more fun. So ditch the sit and get and literally get with it. Get with the program because technology is here to stay. So find a way to put a screen in front of your students. Find a way to activate all of their senses or use multiple senses in your lessons. Find a way to implement multiple learning styles, etc. Like you got to find a way to reach these kids because when your lessons are engaging, they are less likely to act up because they are less likely to try to avoid your assignments. Mastering the disguise that everything is worth a grade gives the pleasure of like watching majority of your students work with a purpose. Engagement will increase because each assignment that you put in front of your students will be accompanied by a sense of urgency. See, remember, it is a disguise. So please, please, please do not waste your time. The time that you can never get back on trying to grade everything. Go to my post about this and really just learn how to seamlessly implement this strategy. Um, can we say that Rome was not built in one day? Exactly. So neither can your teaching style or your repertoire of tricks. Focusing on a few educational methods or activity types at one time will be helpful. Most teachers desire to be superheroes, but sticking with your faithful few until you master them will pay off more in the long run. As for your personal life, it is great to indulge and enjoy yourself, self-care, all of that healthy work-life balance. But bear in mind that only for a small season of your life, you may need to cut back just a tad, just to make sure that you have some time in your week to breathe, to learn to revamp, to plan it out so you're ready to hit that classroom again the next day 
or on that upcoming Monday. Y'all, do me the biggest favor and learn from my mistakes. Whether you are a first-year teacher or you are still in your first few years of teaching, you're a beginner teacher, if you are using any of these sabotaging methods, being a teacher fired isn't necessarily in your future. However, like, I don't want you to panic, but you do need to make a plan to start implementing some changes in the more effective direction. We don't know what we don't know, but once you know that you don't know and you learn that you don't know and you learn what you need to know, you need to move like you now know what you know. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Virtually Impossible Presents Lazy Learning Land podcast. Comment below your thoughts on how to survive your first 90 days as a new teacher. Which tip resonates the most with you? Let us know. Since there is strength in lazy, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, my blog on virtuallyimpossible.net, and follow us on our social media platforms, Pinterest and Instagram. Instagram is virtually underscore I'm underscore possible. No apostrophe in the I'm. So you can feel at home among other lazy learners. This is your girl S. Dot signing off. And until the next episode, remember to live long and lazy and never, ever work too hard.